0: section eight of famous adventures and prison escapes of the civil war by various this librivox recording is in the public domain section eight a romance of morgan's rough riders part two about seven hundred were captured here and perhaps a hundred and twenty killed and wounded probably a thousand men got out with general morgan Of these, some three hundred succeeded in swimming the river at a point twenty miles above Vuffington, while many were drowned in the attempt. The arrival of the gunboats prevented others from crossing. General Morgan had gotten nearly over when seeing that the bulk of his command must remain on the Ohio side, he returned. For six more days, Morgan taxed energy and ingenuity to the utmost to escape the toils absolutely exhausted he surrendered near the pennsylvania line on the 26th day of july with 364 men the expedition was of immediate benefit since a part of the forces that would otherwise have harassed bragg's retreat and swollen rosecrans muster roll at chickamauga were carried by the pursuit of morgan so far northward that they were kept from participating in that battle But Morgan's cavalry was almost destroyed and his prestige impaired. Some of the larger number of the captured men lingered in the northern prisons until the close of the war. That portion of his command, which had remained in Tennessee, became disintegrated. The men either were incorporated in other organizations or, attracted by the fascinations of irregular warfare, were virtually lost to the service morgan after four or five months imprisonment in the ohio penitentiary effected an escape which has scarcely a parallel for ingenuity and daring he was received in the south enthusiastically the authorities at richmond seemed at first to share the popular sympathy and admiration but it soon became apparent that his infraction of discipline in crossing the ohio was not forgiven placed for a short time in practical command of the department of southwestern virginia he was given inadequate means for its defense and bound with instructions which accorded neither with his temperament nor with his situation the troops he commanded were not like his old writers accustomed to his methods confident in his genius and devoted to his fortunes he attempted aggressive operations with his former energy and self-reliance but not with his former success he drove out of west virginia two invading columns and then made an incursion into the heart of kentucky known as his last kentucky raid in the hope of anticipating and deterring a movement into his own territory very successful at first this raid ended too in disaster after capturing and dispersing federal forces in the aggregate much larger than his own he encountered at cynthiana a vastly superior force and was defeated two months later september fourth eighteen sixty four 1864, he was killed at greenville tennessee while advancing to attack the federal detachments stationed in front of knoxville footnote e w doran of greenville tennessee gives the following particulars of general morgan's death General Morgan came to Greenville on September 3 and stationed his troops on a hill overlooking the town from the east, while he and his staff were entertained at the Williams Mansion, the finest residence in town. At this time, Captain Robert C. Carter, in command of a company of Colonel Crawford's regiment, was stationed three or four miles north of the town he got accurate information of morgan's whereabouts and sent a messenger at once to general a c gillam at bull's gap sixteen miles distant this message was entrusted to john davis and two other young men of his company who rode through a fearful storm picking their way by the lightning flashes and arriving there some time before midnight other messages were probably sent to gillam that night from greenville but this was the first received the report usually given in the histories to the effect that mrs joseph williams carried the news is not correct as she was known to be in an opposite direction several miles and knew nothing of the affair in an hour after the message was delivered Gillum's forces were hurrying on their way to greenville where they arrived about daylight and surrounded the house where morgan was he ran out without waiting to dress, to conceal himself in the shrubbery and grape arbors, but was seen from the street and shot by Andrew G. Campbell, a private in the 13th Tennessee. Campbell was promoted to a lieutenancy. Morgan's body was afterwards secured by his friends and given decent burial. But little firing was done by either army, and after Morgan was killed, his forces marched out of town while the Union forces marched in in easy range of each other yet not a shot was fired on either side the remnant of his old command served during the gloomy winter of eighteen sixty four sixty five in the region where their leader met death fighting often on the same ground when richmond fell and lee surrendered they marched to join joseph e johnston after his capitulation they were part of the escort that guarded jefferson davis in his aimless retreat from charlotte and laid down their arms at woodville georgia by order of john c breckinridge when the armies of the confederacy were disbanded and its president became a fugitive two the capture by orlando b wilcox when it was known at indianapolis that general morgan with a large force had crossed the ohio the city was panic-stricken the state had been literally depleted of troops to assist kentucky and everybody knew it the very worst was apprehended that railways would be cut up passenger and freight trains robbed bridges and depots burned our arsenal pillaged two thousand confederate prisoners at camp morton liberated and jeffersonville with all its government stores and possibly indianapolis itself destroyed nor was this all it had been reported and partly believed as afterward indeed proved to be the fact that the state was literally undermined with rebel sympathizers banded together in secret organizations the coming of morgan had been looked for and his progress through kentucky watched with considerable anxiety it was gloomily predicted that hundreds perhaps thousands of knights of the golden circle and of sons of liberty would flock to his standard and endeavor to carry the state over to the confederacy morgan probably had fair reason to believe that his ranks would be at least largely recruited in the southern counties of indiana the governor of indiana oliver p morton went to work with all his tremendous energy and indomitable will in the face of the greatest opposition that had been encountered in any northern state amounting just before almost to open rebellion he proclaimed martial law though not in express terms and ordered out the legion or militia and called upon the loyal citizens of the state to enroll themselves as minutemen to organize and report for arms and for martial duty thousands responded to the call within 24 hours many within 2 hours Footnote according to the report of the adjutant-general of indiana thirty thousand militia assembled within thirty-six hours and about the time morgan was leaving the state sixty-five thousand men were in the field in ohio according to a report made to the adjutant-general fifty-five thousand militia turned out many of them refused pay yet two hundred and thirty-two thousand dollars were dispersed for services during the raid it would appear therefore that a hundred and twenty thousand militia took the field against morgan in addition to the three brigades of general judah's united states cavalry editor end note everything possible was done by telegraph until the lines were cut some arms were found in the state arsenal and more with accoutrements and ammunition together with the whole batteries of artillery were procured from chicago and st louis the disposition of the state levies that came thronging in was left to me as fast as they were armed the three great junctions of the ohio and mississippi railroad in indiana over which troops and supplies were shipped from all points to rosecrans at chattanooga viz mitchell seymour and vernon were first to be made secure for surely morgan must have some military objectives and these appeared to be the most likely the westerly junction was mitchell this was quickly occupied and guarded by general james hughes with legion men reinforced by the new organizations rising in that quarter seymour was the most central and lay directly on the road to cincinnati and indianapolis from louisville and at Seymour a brigade was assembled from the center of the state, with General John Love, a skillful old army officer, to command it, with instructions to have an eye to Vernon likewise. To this last point Burnside ordered a battery from Cincinnati, and what few troops I had in Michigan, though half organized, came down to Vernon and to General Love besides these thus rendezvoused the people of the southern counties were called upon to bushwhack the enemy to obstruct roads to guard trains bridges etc and to make themselves generally useful and pestiferous our militia first came in contact with the enemy opposite Brandenburg, where he crossed, but it made the stand at Corydon Junction, where the road runs between two abrupt hills, across which Colonel Lewis Jordan threw up some light entrenchments. Morgan's advance attempted to ride over these rail piles roughshod, but lost some twenty troopers unhorsed they brought up their reserve and artillery flanked and finally surrounded colonel jordan who after an hour's resolute resistance surrendered this gave the raiders the town and the citizens the first taste of morgan's style which somewhat disgusted the numerous class of southern sympathizers the shops were given up to plunder and the ladies levied on for meals for the whole command throwing out columns in various directions morgan pushed for mitchell where no doubt he expected to cut the ohio and mississippi railroad got as far as salem in that direction captured or dispersed a few squads of badly armed minute men who were guarding depots and bridges which he burned and doubtless hearing from his scouts sent out in citizens clothes of hughes's force collected at mitchell he discreetly turned off northeastward apparently aiming next for seymour this i heard with great satisfaction the panic at indianapolis began to subside still i felt uneasy for seymour as i next heard of morgan at vienna where he tapped the telegraph lines and learned what he could of all our plans to catch him he came within nine miles of seymour general love sent out a reconnaissance of sharpshooters under colonel c v deland with a couple of field pieces they found that morgan had turned off eastward Love divined his object and started to land and in two Indiana regiments of militia for Vernon. Here Morgan next turned up, planted his parrots, and demanded surrender. He was defied until Love's arrival with the rest of his militia, and then he swept off in a hurry from Vernon, followed by our men, who captured his pickets and rear guard, but who, having no cavalry, were soon outmarched morgan secured a great advantage by seizing all the horses within reach leaving none for the militia or for general e h hobson which enabled him to gain on his pursuers and he would then have left hobson far out of sight but for the home guard who obstructed the road somewhat and bushwhacked his men from every hedge hill or tree when it could be done but the trouble was that we could not attack him with sufficient organized numbers footnote general j m shackelford says in his official report our pursuit was much retarded by the enemy's burning all the bridges in our front he had every advantage his system of horse-stealing was perfect he would dispatch men from the head of each regiment on each side of the road to go five miles into the country seizing every horse and then fall in at the rear of the column in this way he swept the country for ten miles of all the horses after he left vernon we felt safe at indianapolis defensive sites were abandoned and the banks brought back their deposits which they had sent off by express to chicago and the north some fears or hopes were entertained as to madison toward which morgan next bent his way fears for the safety of that city and hopes that with the help of judas troops and the gunboats now on the way up the river we might put an end to the raid From Indianapolis, we started General Lew Wallace with a good brigade of minutemen and with high hopes that at either Madison or Lawrenceburg, farther up the river, he might capture them. The people ahead were asked by telegraph to cooperate, but after going down that line as far as DuPont, Morgan turned northeast for Versailles, where we next heard of him threatening the Cincinnati and Indianapolis Railway. This was a nice bit of work. He baffled all our calculations, and did some damage on both the Ohio and Mississippi and Cincinnati railroads, sending off flying columns in a dozen directions at a time for the purpose as well as to throw Hobson off the scent. Some of these columns looked like traveling circuses adorned with useless plunder and an excess of clowns thus they went through pierceville and milan to harrison on white river and on the ohio line here hobson's advance came upon them but unfortunately it paused to plant artillery instead of dashing across the bridge and engaging the raiders until the main body should arrive this lost us the bridge which was burned before our eyes and many hours delay marching round by the ford their next demonstration was toward hamilton here there was a fine railway bridge over the big miami hobson followed in such close pursuit through new baltimore glendale and miamiville that the raiders did little damage their attempts to burn a bridge at miamiville was repulsed by the home guard my last troops were dispatched from indianapolis to head them off at hamilton after five hours delay caused by the intoxication of their commander his successor in command was general haskell who swore like a trooper to find himself just in time to be too late he proceeded through hamilton ohio as far as loveland but morgan had sent only a detachment toward hamilton to divert attention from cincinnati toward which he made a rapid march with his whole united force governor todd of ohio had already called out the militia and proclaimed martial law he raised men enough but burnside had to organize and arm them morgan found the great city guarded but he passed through the very suburbs by a night march around it unmolested he crossed the little miami railroad at daylight and came north in sight of camp dennison where colonel neff half-armed his convalescents threw out pickets dug rifle-pits and threw up entrenchments his fiery old veterans saved a railway bridge and actually captured a lieutenant and others before they sheered off and went some ten miles northward to williamsburg from that point they seemed to be steering for the great bend of the ohio at pomeroy in the vicinity of cincinnati colonel w p sanders the splendid raider of east tennessee came up from Kentucky with some Michigan cavalry and joined Hobson in pursuit, and these were about the only fresh horses in the chase. Sanders had come by steamer, and landing at Cincinnati had been thrown out from there, it was hoped, ahead of Morgan, who, however, was too quick for him. They met later on. Under the good management of Colonel A. V. Couts in advance with his brigade and of Sanders, the men now marched more steadily and gained ground. Couts had observed how the other brigade commanders had lost distance and blown their horses by following false leads, halting and closing up rapidly at the frequent reports of enemy in front, and by stopping to plant artillery marching in his own way at a steady walk his brigade forming the rearguard he had arrived at batavia two hours before the main body that had been cavorting around the country all day misled by two citizen guides possibly morgan's own men not stopping to draw the ration sent out to him from Cincinnati, Hobson urged his jaded horses through Brown, Adams, and Pike counties, now under the lead of Couts, and reached Jasper on the Scioto at midnight of the 16th, Morgan having passed there at sundown. The next day they raced through Jackson on the eighteenth hobson at rutland learned that morgan had been turned off by the militia at pomeroy and had taken the chester road for portland and the fords of the ohio the chase became animated our troopers made a march of fifty miles that day and still had twenty-five miles to reach chester they arrived there without a halt at eleven at night and had still fifteen miles to reach the ford they kept on and at dawn of the nineteenth struck the enemy's pickets two miles out from portland morgan was brought to bay and not by hobson alone first came the militia then came judah his division had pushed up the river in steamers parallel with morgan's course lieutenant john o'neill afterward of finian fame with a troop of indiana cavalry kept up the touch on morgan's right flank by a running fight stinging it at every vulnerable point and reporting morgan's course to judah in the neck-and-neck neck race aided by the local militia o'neill now dashed ahead and fearlessly skirmished with the enemy's flankers from every coin of advantage he reached the last descent to the river bottom near buffington bar and near the historical blinnerhassetts island early on the morning of the nineteenth the ohio river was up It had risen unexpectedly, but here Morgan must cross, if at all. It could not be forded by night when he got here. He tried the ford at Blesserhasset, Failing in this, his men collected flatboats and set to work caulking them, meantime sending a party to Buffington Bar, where they found a small earthwork and captured its guard. And these things delayed them until morning. General Judah attempted a reconnaissance, resulting in a fight, which he describes as follows in his report. Before leaving Pomeroy, I advanced a courier to General Hobson, apprising him of my direction and requesting him to press the enemy's rear with all the forces he could bring up. Traveling all night, I reached the last descent to the river bottom at Buffington Bar at 5.30 a.m. on the 19th here halting my force and placing my artillery in a commanding position i determined to make a reconnaissance in person for the purpose of ascertaining if a report just made to me that the gunboats had left on a previous evening the home guards had retreated and that the enemy had been crossing at night was true a very dense fog enveloped everything confining the view of surrounding objects to a radius of about fifty yards i was accompanied by a small advance guard my escort and one piece of henshaw's battery a section of which under captain henshaw i had ordered to join my force i advanced slowly and cautiously along a road leading toward the river when my little force found itself enveloped on three sides front and both flanks by three regiments dismounted and led by colonel basil w Duke just discernible through the fog at a distance of from fifty to a hundred yards this force as i afterward learned had been disposed for the capture of the home guards entrenched on the bank of the river to use colonel duke's own expression after his capture he could not have been more surprised at the presence of my force if it had been dropped from the clouds as soon as discovered the enemy opened a heavy fire advancing so rapidly that before the piece of artillery could be brought into battery it was captured as were also captain r c kyes my assistant adjutant general captain grafton volunteer aide-de-camp and between twenty and thirty of my men two privates were killed major mccook since dead paymaster and volunteer aide-de-camp lieutenant f g price a de camp and ten men were wounded searching in vain for an opening through which to charge and temporarily beat back the enemy i was compelled to fall back upon the main body which i rapidly brought up into position and opened a rapid and beautifully accurate artillery fire from the pieces of the fifth indiana upon a battery of two pieces which the enemy had opened upon me as well as upon his deployed dismounted force in line obstructing fences prevented a charge by my cavalry in less than half an hour the enemy's lines were broken and in retreat the advance of my artillery and a charge of cavalry made by lieutenant o'neill fifth indiana cavalry with only fifty men converted his retreat into a rout and drove him upon general hobson's forces which had engaged him upon the other road his prisoners the piece of artillery lost by me all of his own artillery five pieces his camp equipage and transportation and plunder of all kinds were abandoned and captured we also captured large numbers of prisoners including colonels basil w duke dick r c morgan and allan ward and the most of general morgan's staff yet With a considerable force, Morgan succeeded in making his escape and started into the interior like a fox for cover. Passing around the advanced column of his enemy, he suddenly came upon the end of Shackelford's column under Wolford, whom he at once attacked with his usual audacity. Shackelford reversed his column, selected his best horses, and gave pursuit he overtook the enemy at backham church where wolford's kentucky fellows rushed upon morgan's men with drawn sabres and kentucky yells and chased them until next afternoon when they were found collected on a high bluff where some hundreds surrendered but morgan again escaped and with over six hundred horsemen gave our fellows a long chase yet by the dirt road and by rail continuing north through several counties he veered northwest toward the pennsylvania line even now burning buildings carloads of freight and bridges by the way though hotly hounded by Shackleford and flanked and headed off by troops in cars among the latter was major w b way of the ninth michigan with a battalion of his regiment way had left the cars at mingo and marched over near to steubenville where he began a skirmish which lasted over twenty-five miles toward Selinaville, away up in columbiana county here he brought morgan to bay the latter still fought desperately losing two hundred prisoners and over seventy of his men killed or wounded and skipped away another union detachment came up by rail under major george w rue of the ninth kentucky cavalry joined Shafgalford at Hammondsville, and took the advance with 300 men. Footnote. Mr. E. E. Day makes the following statement in regard to Morgan's brief stay at Wintersville. Defeated at Buffington Bar, Morgan abandoned his plan of making a watering trough of Lake Erie, and fled north through the tier of river counties, keeping within a few miles of the Ohio the river was low but not fordable except at cox's riffle a few miles below steubenville headed at this point also he struck across the country and passed through wintersville a small village five miles west of steubenville that was a memorable saturday at wintersville morgan's progress across the state had been watched with the most feverish anxiety and the dread that the village might lie in his path filled the hearts of many the wildest rumors passed current morgan and his guerrillas it was said would kill all the men lay the village in ashes and carry off the women and children the militia or hundred day men who lived in or near the village drilled in the village streets and fired rattling volleys of blank cartridges at a board fence in preparation for the coming conflict on friday evening word came that morgan would attempt to force a passage at cox's riffle the next morning and the militia marched to shovenville to help intercept him a bloody battle was expected about the middle of the forenoon a horseman dashed into the village shouting morgan's coming he's just down at john Hanna's," and galloped on to warn others mr Hanna was a farmer living about a mile south of the village He had shouldered his musket and gone with the militia, leaving his wife and two children at home. About ten o'clock, Morgan's men were seen coming up the road. Mrs. Hanna, with her children, attempted to reach a neighbor's house, but they were overtaken and ordered to the house, which they found full of soldiers. Morgan and his officers were stretched dusty clothes, boots and all, upon her beds, and a negro was getting dinner. While the third table was eating, a squad of militiamen appeared on a neighboring hill. Morgan ordered their capture, saying, What will those Yankees do with the thousand men I have? A number of Morgan's men started to carry out their chief's command, but the militia made good their escape. Soon after, word came that Shackelford's men were near, and Morgan left so hurriedly that he neglected to take the quilts and blankets his men had selected. In the village, all was consternation. Many of the women and children gathered at the Maxwell Tavern. Their terror upon hearing that Morgan was just down at Hannah's cannot be described. Word had been sent to Steubenville, and Colonel James Collier marched out with a force of about 800 militia, sending a squad under command of Captain Prentiss to reconnoiter. They galloped through the village, and as Morgan's advance came in sight, began firing the fire was returned and a private named parks from steubenville was wounded morgan's men charged the scouting party sending them through the village back to the main body in a very demoralized condition the frightened women and still worse frightened children no sooner saw the dust-brown ranks of the head of morgan's column than they beat a hasty retreat down the alley to the house of dr markle the village physician this change of base was made under fire as morgan's men were shooting at the retreating militia and also at a house owned by william fisher in which they had heard there were a number of militiamen at the doctor's house all crowded into one room and were led in prayer by the minister's wife the retreat of the scouting party did not have a very cheering effect upon the advancing militia as they passed a field of broom corn several men suddenly disappeared their swift course through the cane being easily followed by the swaying of the tassels the militia were met by rumors that the village was in ashes morgan did not set fire to the village but his men found time to explore the village store and to search the fisher house in the second story of which they found a flag morgan's men were hardly out of sight on the richmond road when colonel collier and the militia appeared they formed line of battle on a hill east of the village just in time to see shackleford's advance coming along the road over which they were expecting morgan the colonel at once opened fire with his six pounder loaded with scrap iron the first shot did little damage one piece of scrap iron found its way to the right and struck with a resounding thwack against the end of the maxwell tavern the second shot did not hit anything one of shackleford's officers rode across the field and inquired what are you fools shooting at the colonel then learned to his astonishment that morgan was at least two miles out on the richmond road Many who had been conspicuously absent then showed themselves, and the daring deeds and hair-breadth escapes which came to light are not to be lightly referred to. At least a dozen dead rebels, it was said, would be discovered in the fields when the farmers came to cut their oats, but for some reason the bodies were never found. End footnote at Selinaville he found Morgan pursued by Major Way pushing for Smith's Ford on the Ohio breaking into trot and gallop he outmarched and intercepted the fugitives at the crossroads near Beaver Creek and had gained the enemy's front and flank when a flag of truce was raised and Morgan coolly demanded his surrender Rue's threat to open fire brought Morgan to terms when another issue was raised it was now claimed that morgan had already surrendered namely to a militia officer and had been by him paroled this officer turned out to be a captain james burbick of the home guard rue held morgan with 364 officers and men and 400 horses till general shackelford came up who held them as prisoners of war footnote general w t h brooks says in his report morgan had passed a company of citizens from new lisbon and agreed not to fire upon them if they would not fire upon him he had taken two or three of their men prisoners and was using them as guides among them was a mr burbick of new lisbon who had gone out at the head of a small squad of mounted men when morgan saw that his advance was about to be cut off by major rue he said to his captain "'I would prefer to surrender to the militia rather than to United States troops. "'I will surrender to you if you will agree to respect private property "'and parole the officers and men as soon as we get to Cincinnati.' "'Burbick replied that he knew nothing about this business. "'Morgan said, "'Give me an answer, yes or no.' "'Burbick, evidently in confusion, said, "'Yes.' james burbick sent a statement to governor todd in which he said that he was not a prisoner with morgan but that he was guiding him voluntarily away from the vicinity of new lisbon after morgan had agreed not to pass through that town burbick reported that he accepted morgan's surrender and started for the rear with a handkerchief tied to a stick to intercept the advancing troops while Lt. C. D. Mouse, a prisoner with Morgan, was sent with another flag of truce across the fields. And thus ended the greatest of Morgan's raids. By it, Bragg lost a fine, large division of cavalry that, if added to Bruckner's force, already equal to Burnside's in East Tennessee, might have defeated Burnside, Or, if thrown across Rosecrans' flanks or along lines of supply and communication, or used in reconnaissance on the Tennessee River, might have baffled Rosecrans' plans altogether. As it was, Rosecrans was able to deceive Bragg by counterfeit movements that could easily have been detected by Morgan. End of section eight.